Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Flying High Edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell. It's February 6, 2014, and today I have the pleasure of talking politics with Press Gallery regulars, columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. And Paula Simons. Hello. And provincial affairs reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. And I think, Miriam, you are about as close to a podcast fixture as we can get. Oh, how exciting. I know. I'm very happy to have you here. For the first few months of this show, we have tried to focus most of the time on big picture issues, things that really matter, environmental issues, energy policy, and that means we haven't spent too much time talking about nitpicky things like salaries and spending. I'm afraid this week we have to wade into that morass and talk about the brouhaha over Premier Alison Redford's South Africa trip, as well as the provincial government's sunshine list, which was released last Friday. Let's start with the Premier's travel because that is a story that will just not die. And I would like to explore why that is. Who would ever imagine something as worthy as a trip to Nelson Mandela's funeral could turn into a political disaster? Graham, can you start with a recap for us about this controversy? Why was it so important for Premier Redford to be at Nelson Mandela's funeral in December? And and why was it so expensive? Well, the first part of your question is because uh, Redford, when she was a young lawyer, actually worked in South Africa for a number of years. In fact, I think she actually applied to become a citizen of South Africa. And she actually worked in the um, worked for Nelson Mandela. And she uh, worked, I guess she saw him, she said that once a week she would see him. And uh, she was a human rights lawyer, was working in South Africa as a lawyer, and she became quite close to him. So she actually had a personal connection with, with Mandela. <coughs> so when, she ex- when he, ac- he died, she wanted to be there. And you can see you know, there's a personal connection, plus a lot of dignitaries around the world wanted to be there too. So what happened was um, the Prime Minister Harper said, look, you know, he'd take her along on this flight that included um, several former uh, Prime Ministers. So what um, Redford did was take a government plane to Ottawa, and then from there they flew to South Africa. What happened, though, Redford said that getting back was a bit problematic because it wasn't really clear on when the Prime Minister was flying back. So she thought she would go on her own to get back in time to um, be in time for the swearing-in of the, the new cabinet, the cabinet shuffle. And i got to say, the second part of your question is uh, the cost, and it just seems outrageous. I don't think we've said how much it cost yet. It's 44000 Something like that. I think yeah, the Herald's been reporting to $45,000. That's $45,000. And that was mind-boggling. What actually happened, it seemed that you break it down, and um, uh, she paid $10,000 for her one-way ticket back to Edmonton. Not only that, uh, it cost $14,000 for the government plane to take her to Ottawa, and then it cost $20,000 for her aid to fly to South Africa and back. And I was thinking, you know, it makes no sense. Why is the aide flying business class on his own as well? He, he flew to South Africa on his own because she was flying, Primer was flying on a the uh, government plane, and makes it look even worse 
is that the Premier of Nova Scotia went there for $1,000 to take part in the funeral. So you've got, not only is it expensive on its own, compared to other Premiers, Nova Scotia costs $1,000 and she spent $45,000. And now she is saying, look, um, you know, I had no idea it'd be that much money. If it'd been that much, I wouldn't have gone, perhaps, or find some way of cutting the cost. But you got to wonder, who in her office approved that? There's some sort of mindset you get in her office that actually would okay a trip that costs $45,000 to get her to South Africa. So, Mariam, who is upset about this trip and this expense? Because, let's put it in context, it's a $40 billion budget. So, one $45,000 travel blip, maybe? I don't know. Is that Why are people freaking out about this? Um, so it, it does seem like a lot of people, uh, I guess, outside of government are pretty upset about this. And I think it's because, it, A, as Graham mentioned, we, we've heard stories about other premiers who were able to do this at a much lower cost, um, you know, significantly lower. Um, but at the same time, you know, people are now asking questions because we learned yesterday that her executive assistant was with her. What did he need to do there? What Was she officially representing Alberta? What sort of government business did she have to do? And a lot of people are accusing her um, of being, as being out of touch. And and I think, too, the, the sort of um, response that she provided yesterday, that she didn't really have a sense of how much it would cost... A lot of people were picking on that as saying, you know, that's something that you should have had an idea about. This isn't something that's, you know, secret information. I mean, people have usually a pretty good sense of how much a, a business class or a first class flight is going to cost, especially when you're booking it at the last minute. And a lot of other people are, are pointing out the fact that the the sort of uh, reasons that they've given for her needing to come back so quickly was that uh, she needed to be there for the cabinet swearing-in ceremony. But again, that was sort of a timeline that had been uh, established by her. She'd announced the cabinet shuffle on a Friday, and then the swearing-in ceremony was a week later on a Friday. And I, a lot of people are asking, well, couldn't it have waited till Monday? What but difference does that weekend make? The Wild Rose in particular seems to have been jumping all over this with uh, with uh, memes, I guess, or set yes. creating some graphics and that sort of thing that they're circulating. This is the sort of thing that they're really... Uh, good at. I mean, this is the sort of issue that they they do a good job at picking on. And, you know, yesterday they went out with a photo, with those photos of, um, and they're also saying that she needs to pay this back. And, they've, and they're calling very loudly for that. She said yesterday that she was disappointed in the cost and that, she, as Graham said, she thought that perhaps if she'd known what it was, that she wouldn't have gone. Uh, I do think a sort of natural question then follows, which is, then do you think that you should pay back that cost? Or do you think that that is a cost that should be borne by the by the taxpayers, which I think is completely fair. What's interesting, Sarah, is that it's not just the Wild Rose, the New Democrats, or the Liberals who are upset about this. I've also been hearing, I've, you know, I've had some interesting Twitter conversations with people who I would consider to be Tory party loyalists, who are also very angry, because this makes their party look bad. I mean, $45,000, you're right, it isn't much in the scope of the whole government, but that's how much some Albertans, lots of Albertans, lots of people who would consider themselves middle class, that's their salary for a whole year. I mean, it's a crazy amount of money. And, and as Graham and, and Miriam have sort of pointed out, the problem is there are some blurred lines here. Was this a personal flight? Alison Redford, who loved and really seems to have very sincerely admired and mourned Nelson Mandela. If she's going as Alison Redford the person, that's one thing. And then I think it's not unreasonable for her to say, well, I'll pay for part of the cost. It doesn't seem like the explanations are making this any better. It seems, in fact, like the more this gets talked about and the more explanation we get from the premier's office the worse it gets 
is there a way that this can be fixed? What do you think? I mean, I personally think that paying back the money is a bad idea. I think, yeah, she needs to fess up and make a mistake. But if you pay back that money, it looks like you did something really, really wrong. It's like admitting that you made a terrible terrible mistake and i think that that would just be further fodder for the opposition if i, 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 I was I would, her i'm not i'm not yeah I, I would agree with you i think that um she, she didn't break the law it's not like she's a senator who misspent public money and has to pay it back because she broke the law in this case it was a really bad decision i don't think she has to pay it back personally but um <clears throat> the thing is the optics here are really bad because this comes in the heels of her uh, also coming back from that trip to india and switzerland where she kind of talked to Al Gore about climate change and Alberta's role on uh, carbon emissions. And she didn't get into Afghanistan even though she wanted to. And then this ties at the same time when they're trying to impose a wage freeze on AUPE members. So you've right. got this, the optics look really, really bad for her right now. Should she, should she have to pay it back? I would say no. At the same time, this is going to put pressure on her then from now on when she goes traveling. And she loves to travel, especially first class. Um, that she has to rein it in and either do fewer trips or watch the expenses a lot more carefully. Because this is the kind of thing that does come back to bite them because, yeah, people don't really understand or I can't visualize a $40 billion budget. I can visualize $40,000. Mm -hmm. the, the temperature was heating up on this airfare controversy just after the Alberta government released its salary sunshine list last Friday. Given the timing of our show, I wasn't sure if people would still be talking about this list this week, but I, I think that they still are. And I'm beginning to wonder if the f outcry over the airfare and her travel mm -hmm. expenses aren't somehow tied to the release of this list that shows uh, how many and which employees are making over $100,000 a year. Miriam, can you just give us a refresher on why the government decided it was time to release the uh, salaries and then identify employees who are earning more than 100000 at least within government departments? Sure. Well, this all started uh, last fall uh, in about um, September or October when there was a lot of controversy over the amount of severance that had been paid to former um, staffers in the Premier's office. And the Premier's office essentially refused to release FOIP documents that reporters had asked for, um, documents that would show how much severance was paid, uh, specifically to Stephen Carter, who was her uh, chief of staff for six months and received, as we later found out, $130,000 severance. And so they took a lot of heat for this. And in response, they announced in October that they would draft this disclosure policy and would have the details of it ready by the end of by December. And they did. And so that's really what motivated this. And so it all sort of culminated with the release of the database last Friday after they frantically scrubbed the names of Crown prosecutors from it after the uh, court ruled in favor of an injunction application. What did we learn from this list, Paula? Who's on it? Well, it's, this is a really interesting question. There are a lot of people on this list, quite frankly, who are ordinary, hardworking public servants who I don't think necessarily needed to be outed in this way. Uh, lawyers, civil lawyers who work for the government, accountants, engineers, uh, department managers, you know, people who work at the Royal Alberta Museum on planning for the new museum. There are a lot of regular people you've never heard of who now have their precise salaries with their names attached out in public. Uh, there are also a lot of people um, uh, 
who are what you might call political operatives who are on this list, people who are part of executive council, who are advisors to the premier, who are press secretaries, uh, and also people who work for the Public Affairs Bureau, senior staffers who are part of the public service and who technically are not supposed to be partisan, but who in Alberta at least are very often put in a position where they're making a partisan argument on behalf of the government. So I think one of the things that was really revealing was to see how many people whose job it is to spin the government message make more money than the people who actually do the work, like the lawyers and the engineers and uh, and the senior civil servants. And so part of me is really squicked out by this list. I don't like the idea that because Stephen Carter got $130,000 in severance, a whole lot of anonymous civil servants get to have their salaries put out there as though somehow they're the enemy. I think it's the government intimidating and bullying people who, you know, who are, are frankly not managers. Uh, at the same time, I, I confess to my own fascinated interest in seeing how much money the people who get paid to spin the government's message are getting paid as, you know, as propagandists for the uh, Redford uh, office. I gotta say, I mean, this is the kind of information that is available in all of the United States, basically, under their freedom of information laws for any civil servant. If you work for the government in any capacity, your salary would be available. There, the governments don't go to the big trouble to release list because usually newspapers just request it and create databases or media outlets. And other Canadian provinces have done this. Ontario's done this, BC's done this, Nova Scotia's done this. So I, I don't, or Nova Scotia, some of the maritime provinces, I don't, I don't have the same worries you do about individual salaries. I feel like if you're, I, my issue is I feel like it doesn't go far enough. I feel like by narrowing the scope like they did of just government departments, it does single out a particular brand of, you know, civil servant. Whereas, you know, they've said that the universities are coming, the health, the health authorities are coming because we can all remember the fuss over executive salaries in the health field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And by leaving those things out, it creates a really false impression. I mean, also left out are things like government crown corporations and um, yeah. arms length, arms length yeah. agencies. So you can't really see, you know, how much money the head of ATB makes, how much money the presidents of the major universities make. And so as a result, a lot of people who, you know, earn earn, you know, only twice what it cost Alison Redford to fly to South Africa, uh, get their names out there and are sort of smeared like they're enemies of the people. Well, Graham, the point of this list was to show transparency. It was to uh, show that the government has nothing to hide and I think is using tax dollars well. How, how has that worked for them? <laughs> you know, there's no real upside to this for the government. Um, they had to bring something up because this government's always saying they're a leader when it comes to being open and transparent and they weren't. <laughs> Of course, they weren't on this issue. They were more or less forced into it. They're embarrassed into taking this action. The leader here is Ontario. Other provinces are, are more uh, transparent and open than the Alberta government is. There's no real, what, what, what they can say, the upside they can say is, look, we are becoming more transparent, and this actually does, in theory, go further in some ways than other provinces. Okay, but the downside for the government, and all the other governments too, is that when we get these lists, we pour through them, and yes, we do actually embarrass people who are working for the government. Um, especially those who are working with the Premier. And I think that um, the downside is then people from the opposition can, can claim, look, this government spends too much money on wages. When it comes to, right now we're seeing it with the NDP attacking the government, saying, look, it's trying to impose a, a wage freeze on the AUPE members, the lower members, or the frontline workers, you can call them that, 
where the, the upper echelons are getting all this money. So it shows how, how unbalanced it is. Of course, what's interesting is that we still have an outstanding court challenge because what the court, uh, what uh, Madam Justice Doreen Salima ruled last week was a temporary injunction which kept those salaries of the Crown prosecutors off the list. And the Crown prosecutor in question argued that her safety was in peril if people could see her salary. And she actually got even more extraordinarily a publication ban so that we can't say the name of the Crown prosecutor who sought this injunction and, and earned it. So what we need to wait for now is for there to be a formal court uh, court challenge to see whether or not the Crown prosecutor's names can be released. I and I can tell you, I mean, I interviewed for a column last week a civil litigator with the government who quit his job over this and says that his safety is also at risk because of the caseload he handles working with uh, working with maintenance enforcement and with, with kids who are coming into care. So if there's going to be a court challenge that this is a violation of people's privacy rights, that could be very interesting too. Graham, we know that the Alberta Union of Provincial Employees are already vexed with Premier Redford. Is this going to cause her problems? Are, are her now upper, upper echelons going to be angry about this release of their salaries? Well, they knew it was coming. This is, you know, this is the government uh, promise, and she's made the promise, and she's fulfilling it. Yeah, this is a problem from any problems when you have the senior executives get their salaries um, disclosed. They're not really happy about it. I got to say, though, that, um, and I do have sympathy for um, the argument you're making, Paula, about you know, just a rank-and-file person making $100,000, all of a sudden they're outed. And it's really unfair. If the person's just a, an average civil servant and they're doing their job and they can be getting embarrassed by this or get some grief from neighbors or family, whatever, I have sympathy for that. But i got to say, this government's been so secretive over the years. I'm more in favor of releasing more information than less because I'm dealing with this government. We all have. Yes. And they're very secretive, and they hang on to everything with a death grip. So actually getting information, I'd rather have too much information than too little. And that's been the case with this government for too many years. I think we can all safely assume that the sunshine list would be all of on, on all our good stuff from the gallery recommendations. Absolutely. But let's let's assume that and, and move on to something else. Just for if anyone has a suggestion for a good political read or something to, to tide you over till next week's podcast. Miriam, do you want to start? Sure, I'll start. Uh, but before I do, I'm just going to quickly plug the fact that Lucas Timmons made a really great searchable database of the government sunshine list. So uh, if you want to be able to actually search for it and get uh, a better sort of comparison, uh, go to the journal website for the sunshine list because it, it's just an easier interface to use. Right, and it, it, it includes um, all the different categories, right, in one number, That's benef right. cash benefits and salary. Gives you a total number, and, and so you don't have to sort of uh, search according to one topic at a time. Which Lucas is has done the math for you. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. definitely. Google Edmonton Journal Sunshine List, and you can find that, and we'll also put a link up with our uh, podcast. But that oh. wasn't my good read. I, I have a different one. Um, I, had to, I had to plug Lucas, of course. Mine is from the Committee to Protect Journalists. It's their 2013 risk list, basically where they look at where press freedoms have suffered uh, over the year. And it's not a list of you know, the overall worst sort of situations, but it's a list of where we've seen um, the the most regressive sort of policies. I mean, they've only done this list since 2012, but they say since for the first time, surveillance and restrictive internet legislation and cyber attacks on news agencies has for the first time um, sort of forced them to put cyberspace on the list of places that are trending downwards in terms of press freedom, which I thought was a really interesting thing. And it's it's following on the NSA um, surveillance, obviously. Um, 
so I thought that was really interesting because usually, you know, it's a list of countries like Russia and Vietnam and Bangladesh and Turkey um, and Egypt, actually, they say was the worst place. So I also wanted to just sort of point everyone to this hashtag on Twitter. It's hashtag free AJ staff, Al Jazeera staff. And it's um, it's a sort of a solidarity campaign putting pressure on the Egyptian um um, officials to release four of their uh, journalists who have been in prison there for more than a month now, one of them for 176 days. So, uh, and those one, are, and those one are of whom pick. is a Canadian citizen. That's right. One of whom, I mean, and not that that should matter, but um, yeah, it's always, it's always distressing to see colleagues in jail anywhere around the world. And so I wanted to draw everyone's attention to that. Thank you. I like that recommendation a lot. I'll jump in now with my recommendation. We've managed to once again get through the whole show without talking about Rob Ford. <laughs> I will, until I will, now. until now. I'm going to recommend the excerpt that the Toronto Star printed of their reporter Robin Doolittle's new book called Crazy Town, The Rob Ford Story. Uh, we've all been following this with interest and I can't wait to pick up the whole book. In the meantime, I've had to satisfy myself with this excerpt, which starts from the moment that she receives a phone call from the person trying to sell this video of Rob Ford, now we can say, using crack. And it ends with the moment when she and her editor realize that Gawker, their competitor, has just posted the story. So it's a long read, but good, and it'll tide me over till I get to pick up the book. Uh, Robin is also supposed to be on Jon Stewart's Daily Show tonight, which means there will be links that I can post with the show on Friday. So again, that is called just if you Google Crazy Town and Robin do little, it'll show up in the Toronto Star. That excerpt will show up. Paula, what have you got for us? Well, last week I had an extraordinarily depressing uh Recommendation. So today I'm going to try and balance things out. I'm going to recommend a wonderful sketch from the CBC comedy show This Is That, which is a fake news program in which <laughs> fake satire. It is satire. <laughs> I'm going to explain this slowly. Satire. They make fun really of the standard tropes of the CBC radio interview. So as much as anything, they're making fun of you know 50 years of CBC uh, radio idiom. At this particular one, though, is of should be of special interest to Edmontonians. It is a fake interview with a fake Edmonton City Councillor who rejoices in the very Edmonton name of Lorne Shepard. And Lorne Shepard, Edmonton City Councillor, is campaigning for Edmonton to change its name from Gateway to the North to Portal to the Universe. I love it. It's fantastic because it makes fun of Edmonton's chronic boosterism and Edmonton's chronic self-esteem issues. And <laughs> it is the best fake interview. And I now want the t-shirt that says Edmonton Portal to the Universe. So you have to listen, A, because it's very funny, and B, because it is a wickedly accurate send-up of the kind of make something Edmonton, City of Champions, biffle baffle that we always engage in. Uh, it is absolutely delightful. And in case I didn't make this clear enough, it <laughs> is a joke. One of the funniest things when you read it online isn't just to listen, but to see the outraged comments from people <laughs> who completely fail to understand that, yes, it is a joke. I think press gallery listeners are all sophisticated enough to know <laughs> that it is satire, so I am confident no one here would be tricked into thinking it was real. Graham, how about you? What are you going to leave us with for our final Good Stuff recommendation? Uh, quickly, what I, I've been getting a magazine from my brother-in-law recently. It's called um, Legion Magazine. It's a, a magazine about the Canadian military. My brother-in-law was a former uh, soldier. Um, and uh, I thought at first I was afraid it's going to be some sort of jingoistic, you know, tub thumping, um, uh, pro 
military um, peace uh, articles. And um, actually, it was really interesting. They've got some great historical uh, documents in there, historical um, uh, stories about Canada's military, but also has some very critical um, uh, articles. One I really quite liked was called, uh, it's called A Story of Blunders, Bombs, Broken Teeth, and Bad Ideas by a, a reporter called Adam Day, who has been in Afghanistan several times with the troops. Actually, he was injured. That refers to the broken teeth uh, and an explosion. And he's very critical. The, the question is, was it worth it, us being there? And he's very critical about um, how the politicians dealt with the, the mission, how they kept changing the parameters of it, and how they kept trying to sell it in different ways to the Canadian public. So I thought it was spot on. And of course, the, I want to give you the conclusion, because I want you to read the article. But uh, overall, I thought it was really well done uh, piece on it wasn't just cheering on the troops it was actually looking at the public policy issue but us us in Afghanistan was it worth us being there and it's spoken from a very uh, clear logical and uh, feeling reporter who's there several times with the troops I like the diversity of our good stuff mm-hmm. this week I like there's a lot of different stuff for people to look at so thank you that's our show. We'll post those links on our website and Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash the press gallery. Uh, like us if you can, or tell your friends. That helps uh, other people find our show. We've also got everything posted on edmontonjournal.com's opinion page. So always check us out there too and write a comment. You know what I would like to, I would like to put out a challenge this week. I would love to hear from our listeners a good stuff recommendation. Ooh, what is their yes. p- good political read that they would suggest? And I will make one of those my suggestion. I'll use that next week because I think I think I would love to hear from our listeners. And Sarah, would you like them to post that on our Facebook page? Or they could email post it us? on our they could post it on our Facebook page. That would be fantastic. And they could so. also comment on the on the press on gallery the, on the press gallery page, page on the, page journal. the journal. That's right. And I also want to say thank you and happy birthday to our producer Ryan Jackson, who's here with us and keeping an eye and an ear on things. We'll be back next week in the press gallery. Thanks so much for listening.